Hello and welcome to the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is episode 28, and I'm Ben Olson, and with me is Nathan Fox. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. How are you? Good. Uh, it's been very cold, and um, uh, let's see, it's it's actually been the coldest here in D.C. for like for 125 years, so uh, very cold, yet we just got our water heater removed, and it broke. The, the new one doesn't work, and so... Took, took a, I took a cold shower this morning. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's terrible. I wasn't terrible. planning to take a shower, but I, I worked out, and I was like, there's no way I'm not going to not take a shower. So then I, I got in, and I don't know. After a while, it wasn't that bad, but it was it was very, very cold water. So. I was um, – that reminds me of um, Anthony Robbins, uh, Tony Robbins. I heard him on, on um, some podcast uh, – it must have been. Why am I blanking on his name now? The twenty-four, uh, the four-hour work week guy. Uh, oh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Tim Ferriss. He had Tony Robbins on, and uh, they were talking about how I don't know if Tim Ferriss does it too, but Tony Robbins like purposely does a cold plunge every morning as okay. part part of his daily routine. He has like a a freezing cold plunge pool that he jumps in. Okay. Like every single day to shock his shock his system into. That's how he's you know. I guess how he's so dynamic and awesome is that <laughs> he, he subjects himself to that every single day. So you you might be like super powered today. Because yeah, well, it felt really good when I was done. Actually, I was like, "Wow, I did it!" and I feel really awake. But um, I and I I even wanted to convince myself that it was like good for me. I was like, "Oh, this has got to be healthy, much more healthy than a, a hot shower." But uh, I have no idea if that's no. I think that's what. That's what he. I think that's some people believe that. In fact, he even goes so far as not only does he have a plunge pool, but he also has like some weird. Um, it's like the opposite of a convection chamber, uh, convection oven. It's like a convection freezer. I think uh, that that like freezes your body, like he pur- purposely more, more than just even cold water, like a thing that I think your head doesn't go in there because it uses like maybe liquid nitrogen or something. But you like freeze your body. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it's something okay. about like, yeah, I'm never going to do it, but it's something like stimulating your nervous system and uh, shocking yourself into being, you know, fully awake. I mean, you, you said it, right? You're definitely more awake today than you would be if you had just taken like a hot shower, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, it also makes me think of these like weird people who swim in, uh, you know, the Arctic or something like that. And they say that, when they go into it with the right mindset, they don't get cold or don't feel cold. And if they like mentally give in, then they actually do get cold and can suffer hypothermia, which just kind of blows my mind away because like how, how, how does their mind have so much control over whether or not they get cold? It seems like it's just a, a physical law. If you get in the Arctic water, you should pretty much die well yeah i mean now we're now we're getting on the like uh, walking on coals right walking on fire or whatever Mm -hmm. like if you you convince yourself that your feet aren't gonna burn and then allegedly your feet don't burn yeah okay that's bullshit to me (laughs) i don't get it i don't buy it i think it's all a crock of shit i'm sorry i'm a skeptic i don't buy it no no that's good but but what we do know is is the l set and (laughs) we have some good uh we have some good questions today, and we have particularly a question from a listener, uh, 
Amani, and we think she's from Arkansas, at least based on our our sleuth techniques of identifying her area code. I, I was going right? to say, well, I was going to say he too, so we're not so sure about that. Um, oh, yes, yes. Okay, I apologize. He but, or she, Amani. But yeah, 501 area code, I figured, I looked it up and I figured it was Arkansas. Okay, so cool. I'm going to say it was Arkansas. By the way, just a little quick update for the listeners. I was looking at the uh, podcast stats the other day, and uh, at episode tw- through episode 27, we're doing episode 28 today, we have been downloaded now in 78 different countries, all 50 states, and three U.S. So we're uh, we're expanding our reach, and uh, we want to thank the listeners for spreading the word. Really, the best thing you can do is tell a friend, um, turn somebody else who's studying, go to your LSAT class and make a speech in front of the class and tell them that uh, they should listen to the Thinking LSAT podcast. Help us spread the word. Thanks. Thanks for that. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Did you say three U.S. territories? Uh, yeah, I was just reading. In fact, I don't even know what those territories are. Obviously, one of them is Puerto Rico, but I don't know what the other <laughs> two are. That was my reaction. I was like, I didn't know we had three, but that's uh, welcome to the to the union. Next episode, um, we'll report back with what three territories those are. Okay. Uh, so, Amani's question reads like this. Uh, I am looking to sit for the LSAT in June and I have ordered some prep material to help me prepare. Uh, I purchased this material from lsac.org. How should I start preparing exactly? I've read through the material on the on different sections, but this was uh, a summer, I guess last summer. So should I go back and read over the material before I begin the practice test, or should I take the practice test first and go back and look at the material later? So there's a lot of questions in there, but basically, how should I prepare, given where I'm at now? What do you say, Nathan? I have a couple of issues here. Um, first, thank you, Amani, for sending in the question. We love getting questions from listeners. Um, the I, I see a couple problems here, potentially. The first is just... Uh, Amani's doing something that many, many students do, which is kind of overthinking how to study rather than just jumping right in, and particularly over planning before doing a practice test. I've had students who have you know, studied for months, read books for months before they actually sat down and did their first practice test, and I think that's putting the cart way before the horse. I think really, if you want to read some introduction to the LSAT before you do a practice test, that's fine, but you really need to take a test as soon as possible just to kind of find out where you're at. Uh, at least that's my philosophy, Ben. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, I think that all that time spent, uh, even if it's just a little time, reading about the test is going to be way more effective after you've jumped in and know what they're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're reading a theoretical treatise about logical reasoning, but you've never actually attempted logical reasoning questions before, then yeah, how, how, how much, how good is that? How helpful actually is that? So I guess what you're saying, I didn't even think about it, but what you're saying is that whatever book this is that Amani has, Amani is probably going to get more out of it having done an actual practice test before reading that material. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I totally agree with that. I also, 
um, because there are 70 something practice tests available, maybe the typical student's only going to focus on the most recent 30 of those or something. Um, that's still quite a lot of tests. And so there's no need to be saving those tests and there's no need to be afraid of those tests. What you really need to do is get your hands on one of them and do it right away. Um, by the way, the, the easiest one for everybody out there to get is the June 2007 test. If, if you just Google June 2007 LSAT, it's free. You'll find the PDF immediately on the LSAC website, and you can print that out, and you can take it timed 35 minutes per section, and you'll know exactly where you're at today. And I, it's really important, I think, that, that people figure out where they're at so that they can make smart decisions about how much prep and when they're going to take the test and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a random thought, but I noticed that Amani purchased these materials on LSAC.org. Yeah. And I guess my initial reaction would be, I think you can get almost all of these on Amazon.com, and they're usually cheaper. Uh, yeah, and potentially free shipping, um, whether or not you have Amazon Prime. If you spend 25 bucks on Amazon, usually stuff's going to come free shipping too, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't usually send people to the LSAC website to buy anything. Um, uh, furthermore, we don't know exactly what material this is, but my guess would be that probably Amani bought the LSAT super prep. And um, the question is, I, I might be reading too much into this, but Amani's like, well, should I do the test then the material or should I do the material then the test? And that seems to suggest that Amani's plan might be to just use the LSAT super prep and, and that's it. Mm, mm -hmm. um, and I, I do want to dispel the idea that, you know, one book is going to be enough for you to prepare for the test. Have you seen students do that? Yeah. A lot of people too will get, when they go into LSAC.org, I think they start with the first book of 10, which is tests like... Seven or something? Oh, like right. They get the really old book of tests. Yeah. Yeah. And they start taking those and just working through them. And um, that's that's not going to be good either. As we've talked about before, they're older tests and it's just not a good use of time. Okay. Yeah. So generally speaking, Ben and I are both kind of on the page of do the most recent tests first. Um, or maybe you save the couple very most recent tests, but. Start with either the book of 10 that's the most recent, which is volume five, or the book right before that, which is volume four. It was called 10 New Actual Official LSATs. Start with one of those two books. That's 20 tests. Most students are going to do probably less than 20 tests before they sit for the actual LSAT. I'm not saying that's, that's the right number of tests to do. Maybe more than that would be better, but um, certainly not going back and starting with test seven. Those are too old. You're probably not going to make it through all the tests, and that's really important that you do the modern tests. Yeah, and the thing is, if you do 20 tests, even if that's not enough, you're still doing way more than I think most people are doing. So it's a good goal to shoot for. Yeah, the 20 most recent tests. That, that would be a pretty full preparation. I mean, that would be more than, yeah, more than average if you did the 20 most recent tests. So that's maybe a, a good benchmark. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, well, again, Amani, thanks for that question. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, so then we have some other questions here. Uh, the first one is, should prospective law students take an LSAT prep program? Why or why not? 
And so this is a little vague prep program. I guess that could be referring to individual tutoring or a class. But either way, um, thoughts, Nathan? Yeah, I read it as just, you know, should I take some sort of a formal program, whether it's in person or online or private tutoring? Should I do, should I do something to help myself with the LSAT? And uh, obviously I'm biased, but just because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. Um, and I think absolutely, yes, you should take some sort of an LSAT prep program. Um, my students improve something like more people improve 10 points than don't improve 10 points over the course of a three month program. And um, 10 points doesn't sound like a lot, but 10 points is a lot when you're talking about the LSAT and when you're talking about law school uh, admissions. So just for example, I was at UC Berkeley over the weekend um, for a diversity outreach event. It was really great, actually. There were like 300 students there, so it was really cool. Um, But the Berkeley numbers are... 164 is the 25th percentile and 169 is the 75th percentile. So what that means in very broad terms is that if you have, say, a 163, you're probably not getting into Berkeley because they can only admit 25% of their class with less than a 164 without their numbers going down and they don't want their numbers to go down. So a 163 is probably not getting you into Berkeley, but if you improved that by 10 points and got a 173 instead, now you're going to be way over the 75th percentile LSAT score of the incoming class at UC Berkeley. And at that point, not only are you getting in, but you're probably getting scholarship money as well. So I guess, you know, people think 10 points is nothing, but no matter what level you're at on the scale, 10 points at some school is going to be the difference between not getting in and getting a full ride. I believe that is true for pretty much every student. Yeah. So there's just, you know, I guess, yes, you should try to get that 10 point improvement and an LSAT prep program is probably the way to do it. Yeah. Now, to be fair, you can get points studying on your own and people do it all the time. I think it's just, I think a big part of it though is also time, right? Because so many people waste months doing ineffective studying and then sometimes developing bad habits that they really shouldn't have developed because they picked up not the best book. A very common book I hear about all the time is Barron's. Yeah. I think because it's at the library or something and they get it for free there. And anyways, I just, I think about when students start in my class, I have a very specific goal in mind for their first week, second week, third week, and so on. And that, when someone can't study for a week, it's not the end of the world, but I'm just thinking, well, let's get you back on track. Let's get you back on schedule. I can't imagine all the time people waste when they're just trying to figure out what to even study in the first place. Yeah, um, I do encourage people, you know, if they if they have no resources and they can't get themselves into a class or an online program or they don't they can't afford a tutor, I definitely encourage them to get a study partner and, you know, do tests and meet once or twice a week and have coffee and talk about the test and I absolutely believe that people can make progress that way. Um but I'm worried that their study partner is not going to understand the test any better than they do or 
sometimes you get a study partner who, you know, let's say you've got somebody that scored a 165 on the test and you'd be happy with a 165. Well, just because your buddy got a 165 doesn't mean that they can actually help you get a 165. And like, like you say, Ben, you, you guys might be drilling and practicing techniques that might help you somewhat, but might hurt you more than help you. Um, so if, if you can't, if you can't get yourself in a class, I do, I, I definitely recommend that you get the study partner or some sort of a study group, but, um, it's just not going to be as effective. I don't think as if you can take some, some type of a class. Um, and you know, the, the investment that you're making again, Full disclosure, obviously, this is self-serving for Ben and I to be talking about this because Ben and I teach LSAT classes and this is how we make our living. But uh, that does not mean that we're wrong. That's an LSAT logical flaw, actually, to say that just because someone's biased means they're wrong. And I think people need to think about the investment that they're going to make in terms of time and money and what the possible payoff is for that investment. Those 10 LSAT points could literally be worth a hundred thousand dollars for you so if you spend a thousand dollars on an lsat prep uh, program of some sort or if you spend two thousand dollars on an lsat prep program you could be getting back a hundred to one on your investment anyway I, I like to tell people that it might be the most valuable three months and a couple thousand dollars they ever spend if it does result in them getting into a much better lsat or much better law school or getting you know a full ride scholarship yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All excellent points. So I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, two. So the second question we have is what is the advantage of taking an in person LSAT prep class? I guess this is kind of a variation of the first one versus maybe something else. Yeah. We ha- well, what we have here is a list of, of we're, we're going to talk about this. This discussion is going to be kind of a general discussion of whether to take a program. I think we already got that. But now we're going to cover in-person prep classes versus online prep programs versus one-on-one tutoring. We wanted to just kind of talk about the strengths and weaknesses of those uh, different ways that you might um, build your LSAT prep study. So the first one, I guess, is classes. I don't know, Ben, what do you think the benefits are that people get out of taking a class with you? Well, I think the main thing with a class is the structure. we're meeting at a specific time every week, sometimes twice a week. And so I think a lot of people sign up for the class precisely because they know it's going to make them (laughs) take action and start preparing. So for example, I'll, I'll send people materials before the class starts. And I would say about half the people start working through those materials. The other half they plan to, but life happens and gets in the way but as soon as the class starts and we're meeting and you know that you kind of have to do the homework before we meet again otherwise you're sort of losing out on the investment you made in the class itself uh people start doing stuff and that's what changes their score yeah totally it's a little bit like one of those uh gym newfangled gyms have you heard of these where uh they um they charge you extra if you don't show up no, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Are you going to start doing that, Nathan, for your class? Well, it's not a bad idea. I mean, you know, to I, can, I, I personally would probably benefit from something like that. Um, 
you know, I don't, I hate to see money going down the drain. And if someone were going to say like, dude, you have to do your homework or else it's going to cost you a hundred bucks, I would probably be more inclined to do my homework in that case. Um, anyway, without doing that, you're, you're totally right that, uh, just having the structure of the class, regardless of what the content of the class is, there is something to be gained from just having the structure of a class. So yeah, I mean, if you're stuck somewhere where you can't take my class, you can't take Ben's class, maybe thinking about whatever the local LSAT prep program is, even if it's mediocre quality, it might be good still because you're just going to uh, have to do your homework and you're going to have to show up on a certain day and a certain time, and that can give you a lot of uh, motivation. I think people also get, you know, there's the camaraderie that happens when in the LSAT class. I mean, my, my students always make friends with each other and they form their own little study groups and stuff, and so that's a good um, a good reason to have an in-person class is that you're going to meet fellow travelers. Um, it's not just you that has to do the homework. You know that everyone else also has to do the homework, and when you show up for class, you know it's not just you punishing yourself sitting down for four hours and studying the LSAT. You know that there's going to be other people there who are also going to be working on the LSAT alongside you, and... I think that can definitely be motivating for students. Yeah, this this reminds me of actually something I did like two years ago, but I haven't done it recently, and I probably should re-implement it. But what I did is I invited people to, because I didn't want, I wanted people to choose whether or not to do this, but I said to them, hey, look, if you volunteer to be part of what I'm going to call the homework club, then all you have to do is do all the homework. And if you do all the homework when you come back to class before the next lesson, and I'll be very precise about what you have to do before you come back, and everyone else who has agreed to be part of this club does the homework, then I'll buy you all dinner. And so I did it for each lesson, and there was a lot of homework, but it wasn't just that, oh, if I do the homework... I'll get dinner. It was, if I do the homework and everyone else does, so if I don't do it, I'm going to mess this up for everyone else. <laughs> and there was, there were people like kind of realized that like, whoa, if I, if I agree to this, so I'd say of a class of about 20, about seven people did it, but those people came to class and they'd be like, this is everything I did. And they, they did everything. <clears throat> Um, and it was pretty intense. Uh, so, and I could tell they had like squeezed in, you know, stuff right before class because they had tried to finish. They didn't want to let their their fellow peers down. So. Did they sometimes fail, or did they all? Or was the group uh, always successful? So there was a. I think there was like one or two times where where people would not show up. So this <laughs> is oh, like yeah. the yeah, you know. And then they they'd say, "Oh, I had to stay for work or something," and I kind of wondered if like. Maybe they were too afraid to admit that they hadn't done it and let everyone else down. So yeah, so you got to be a little bit careful there, maybe, huh? Set up a yeah. perverse incentive for people. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, at the final benefit that I wanted to talk about with in-person LSAT classes is just that you can um, the ability to ask questions live of your instructor um, right there in that moment. Of course, that depends on you know your instructor being willing to take questions and uh, 
being good at handling questions. I don't think that that's necessarily always true in some uh, scripted prep classes, and especially if your teacher doesn't have very much experience, um, you might find that your questions aren't really being answered that well. But um, at least in my classes, my classes are almost depend on student questions. Um, I wouldn't have anything to say if people didn't show up and ask me questions. So that's a real benefit of taking an in-person class. You can do your homework, you can show up to the class, and you can just right there ask your instructor to explain things that you don't understand. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Well, so the next question is about the online programs. Uh, are online prep programs helpful? Who is the best candidate for those, etc.? So any thoughts on this? I know you have an online class, Nathan. I do. I have an on-demand LSAT class. It's actually a recording of my live classroom class. So it's the exact same concepts. It's the exact same lessons. And you even when you watch my videos, you see like live students asking me questions, and um, it's it kind of feels like you're sitting in the back of a class and just taking it all in. Um, the difference is, and the benefit is, you can do it at home. You know, in your underwear if you want to. You do not have to get yourself dolled up and commute downtown San Francisco to take the class. You can also pause the program anytime you want. You can rewind. You can rewatch stuff that was confusing to you. For example, a particularly sticky logic game. If you want to watch me set it up three times, you can do that. If you want to watch me set it up once and then do it yourself and then watch me set it up again, you can do that. Um, which, you know, in class, I'm not going to have time because the group's going to have to move on, so I'm not going to always have time to redo things, at least not infinitely, the way you would be able to with an online program. The other thing with an online program is that you can also skip the stuff that, that doesn't interest you. So, for example, you know, some students are going to be perfect on the reading comprehension right out of the gate, and if they want to skip my lessons on reading comprehension, I'm perfectly happy for them to skip those lessons. Um, similarly, you know, sometimes you might have just dominated a logic game, you got all five questions right, and it took you three minutes, and you're like, well, I'm the master of this game. You definitely don't need to watch those videos if you're taking my online program. You can just skip and watch something that you do need help with. So. Big benefits, and you know, there. I, I think the no commuting thing is is maybe even the biggest benefit. I've I've started already, sort of steering my private tutoring students into Skype rather than meeting in person. I'm happy to meet in person, but it's just so efficient to be able to do it on Skype and do it from home. You lower the the time investment that's required by doing an online program. So. I guess those are if if those are appealing to you, then those are kind of the kinds of things that I would be thinking about um, for for reasons why you might take an online program. I guess there's a couple of downsides. You know, you obviously can't ask questions live of your teacher. At least not in my online program, you can't. Um, you would have to send me an email. I do respond to emails from anybody who takes my online class. So. And just generally, my, my email address is nathan at foxlsat.com. If anybody wants to chat, I'm here. So please send me emails. But if you're in my online program and you have something that you don't understand in one of the lessons, 
you will have to email me rather than being able to just shout out, hey, I don't understand. Um, one other possible downside for an online program is just that you you might end up having to do the program in a distracting uh, environment, namely your house. And for people with kids, you know, the online program can be great because you can stay home with the kids while you do the LSAT prep. But now your kids are there while you're doing the LSAT prep. And, um, you know, it might be the kind of thing where you should probably just hang out with them until bedtime and then put them to bed and then do the LSAT prep program. Because if you think you're going to be able to get something done while they're running around and screaming and watching TV and pestering you, and you know, that, that's just, it might not get done the way you think it's going to get done. Yeah. So if, if, especially for people who can find a place or a time to sequester themselves and really focus on it, then I think the online program can be uh, fantastic. Online programs are also cheaper. I mean, my 12-week classroom class costs fourteen ninety-five, but my online class, which is that same 12 weeks worth of lessons, only costs five ninety-five. So if you're yeah, if you're if you're really watching the budget, I think you can get a pretty big bang for your buck out of an out of a program like mine. Yeah, and and you do have to be disciplined about Oh yeah. You know, watching the lessons, doing the homework, and and not letting it slide because you can do it at any time. Just curious, do you have like a time limit on how long people can have access to the course? Uh, yeah, they get access for one year when they sign up. Okay. Yeah, which should be plenty of time for for just about anybody. Once or twice, I've had somebody tell me that life got in their way and stuff happened, and I've extended the deadline for them. Because um, it's pretty easy for me to do that, but one I, I give people all the materials and one year worth of access for five ninety five, which is really a pretty good bargain, I think. No, it's great. I mean, a year is a long time. It's almost like shortening that time could. It's it's not a benefit. It, obviously, it's nice to have it for a year so that people can adjust and and retake the test if they need to or anything like that. But um, in some ways, saying oh, you only have access for three months can be you know the motivation too to yeah that's interesting yeah I, I should charge 595 for one year access and 895 for three month access <laughs> that's right not only are you getting it for a shorter amount of time but you're paying more for it so you better get on it <laughs> yeah cool well i'll look for that price change yeah yeah <laughs> um so the last question is should a student hire an lsat tutor why or why not um, my my main thought on this, I'll just jump in really sure. quick here, and that is, um, I generally think of when when someone's trying to decide between an LSAT tutor and a class, I tend to think it, the higher you're scoring, the more it makes sense to get a tutor, and the lower you're scoring, the more it makes sense to go with a class or an online class, because uh, the amount of material you're going to benefit from the class increases as your score goes down. It's not to say that high scores don't benefit from a class, but if you're scoring pretty high, uh, chances are you need to focus on particular things and not the entire test. And so then paying a little extra, well, sometimes a lot extra, to get a tutor uh, can actually make sense, though, because you just you jump right in and you focus on what you need. So 
Um, that's my just general rule of thumb for people who are considering a tutor. But do you have anything to, to add to that? Um, I do think that makes a lot of sense. I, I find myself um, sometimes steering people away from my high-priced private tutoring. By the way, you know, I get $300 an hour for private LSAT tutoring. If you want tutoring from me, I would love to work with you, and you can contact me and we can set it up. But yeah, if you come to me with like a 140 LSAT score and you're talking to me about how you want private tutoring, I would, I would always steer you toward either my in-person class or my, um, or my online class because there's, it's those two options are so much cheaper, and we're gonna definitely be talking about issues that you don't understand. If you're scoring a 140, then there's a lot of stuff in my online program that you don't understand, and you. It's, it's so much more cost-effective, right? Five ninety-five for that online class. Well, that's two hours worth of private tutoring with me. But if you're scoring 140, you need to spend like 100 hours with my online program. So it's just a no-brainer there where... Um, I guess that's what you're saying, right, Ben? Yeah, exactly. And then and, and if, if someone's really serious about tutoring, it might even make sense to do some sort of combination, like... Start with the class, get the basics down so that you understand everything, and then when you do go take advantage of the tutoring, you're really leveraging that time uh, effectively. Yeah, you're, you're going to get way more bang for your buck um, once you've kind of gone through all of the basics. So I would never start someone out, for example. I would never, like, if, if someone said, yeah, I've never studied for the LSAT, I want to do private tutor tutoring, I would, <laughs> that's... I guess if you have unlimited money and you want to give it to me, I mean, I, I can't tell you don't do that, but I, I feel like it's only fair to say, hey, have you considered doing one of these other options first? And then if you feel like you still need the help, then, then by all means we can do one-on-one. Um, -on -one. Um, I guess, you know, one thing that people pay for when they pay my $300 an hour rate is that they definitely pay for the convenience and they pay for the totally devoted one-on-one -on -one attention. So if the money is not an issue, and if, for example, you have a really high-powered job and you can't come to my class, and if for some reason the online program wouldn't work for you, then absolutely we could talk about private tutoring as being the you know your, your only prep program. Um, you will get... You know, you get a lot for your money. People who do one-on-one -on -one tutoring tend to improve a lot. I think they they tend to... It's, it's the most efficient way that you can possibly study because you've got, you know, an expert uh, in the test who is just going to be sitting there making eye contact with you and <laughs> totally dealing with only the issues that you really need help with. Um, I think it's the fastest and the, con the most convenient way to improve, um, but it is very pricey. So it's kind of a luxury. If you can afford it, then by all means, let's do it. But if you can't afford it, there are uh, cheaper options for sure. Yeah, I agree 100%. And yeah, I, I guess I, I, do, I do agree with you, Ben, that, that like people who are already scoring 165 or 170 probably benefit more from the one-on-one -on -one than do people who are scoring 140. 
when when somebody who's scoring 165 does private tutoring with me and they say, hey, I don't understand number 19, you know, I can engage them in a conversation that's like, okay, what type of a question is this? And they're usually able to tell me like, oh, well, that's a necessary assumption question. And then I can say, okay, so what are your strategies now for a necessary assumption question? And then they can tell me one or two strategies that they have. And then we can kick that around. It's just a much more sophisticated discussion than someone who's scoring 140 and misses number 19. I say, what type of a question is this? And they go, huh? Yeah. And then it's like, well, you, there's so much work that you could do away from, I don't need to be teaching you each of these lessons one-on-one because you, you, could, you could be doing this in my online program or in my classroom class. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, it would be it would probably be faster for them to do that with you, because your your individual instruction would be more effective than say a class or an online class. But it's just a matter of do you want to pay for that? Yeah. Yeah. And if if the money's no if the money is no issue, then absolutely fine. We we can definitely do it. Um, I'm I'm happy to do it. I I enjoy doing it. It's totally fine. Um, it's just that it seems like there's a, a, a cheaper option. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about uh, LSAT tutoring is that I, I, I think there are a lot of people out there that try to force people into like big, expensive um, packages for private tutoring. And I tend not to work that way. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take it like bit, bit by bit. Because I have found that, especially once I'm working with high scorers, it's sometimes it's totally possible to make really big breakthroughs in just one session. Um, if you've been studying for a while, and if your scores have improved, but now you've plateaued, and especially if you've plateaued you know, in the 160s, um, I would love to, to do a 90-minute consultation with you and talk about what you're doing and talk about which types of questions you're still missing and talk a little bit about what strategies you're using because I've found frequently that I can just identify one thing that you're doing wrong and convince you to change that and you can immediately sometimes improve your score by another five points on top of whatever you've already improved. And I'm sure you've had that same experience, Ben. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's kind of interesting because sometimes I think people will look to like what's holding them back in terms of question types or something like that. But when we dig in, just like what you were talking about, and I ask someone uh, a higher score or anyone really, you know, what type of question is this? How would you approach it? And they, they talk me through that. And then we do a totally different question, and it's a different question type and everything. But as we're walking through that, it seems like they had the same sort of confusion as to what actually is an intermediate conclusion or something. I mean, it may be as basic as that or just some sort of misconception that they have in their mind about the word only if or whatever in two totally unrelated question types. You can see that, though, when you're working individually with someone and say, wait a sec, do you realize that you're you're thinking about this the same way in both of these questions and that's wrong? And they say, oh, yeah. And that's where some of those, I think, breakthroughs can happen because then it's more like an underlying principle rather than just, you know, a question type or something like that. 
Uh, yeah, or sometimes it could even be a question type. I mean, I was working with a student yesterday, and uh, she mentioned that, you know, she's, she's doing well. She's scoring 160-something, but she had missed number 10, and she had missed number 18, and I, I looked at number 10, and I'm like, okay, what type of question is this? And she really couldn't tell me. And what it was was a must-be-true question. Mm-hmm. But it was a, but it was like a one of those kind of oddly worded must be true questions. It didn't just say, you know, if all of the above is true, which one of the following must be true. Mm-hmm. It 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 said it was asking that same question, but in some funky kind of a way. And looking at her answers, like she had definitely picked answer choices that were way too strong and way too bold, and they just weren't good answers for a must be true question. And yeah. She never would have missed it if she would have known that it was a must-be-true question. Anyway, so I gave her a little bit of a lesson there, and then we looked at the next one, number 18, and number 18, it was the exact same thing, that it was another must-be-true question, and it was another one where the, the question stem was kind of hidden a little bit, and she had just, I don't know what she thought the question was, but it was a must-be-true, and she had not correctly identified it as a must-be-true. And and so exactly. yeah and and so there I think I was able to help her a lot and immediately um, just just by giving her this little lecture about like hey you know on the logical reasoning you really need to be identifying the questions and on this one I think you probably didn't even know what type of a question it was at all and. Maybe in the future, in that situation, you need to just assume that it's a must be true, um, because there are a lot of must be trues, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I guess I mean the broader point here is whatever it is through one on one tutoring, you can kind of tease those things out that just don't always happen, uh, especially in like an online program. Yeah. Well, I mean, or even in the classroom, right? With mm-hmm. with thirty people in the classroom, I don't know that I would have been able to spend that kind of time with her. But one on one, we we are definitely going to be able to diagnose your exact issues. Um, but I guess again, just to circle back on our original point, it's it is a luxury. It is very expensive, and it's the kind of thing that you probably should wait to do until you've already taken uh, an in person class or an online program of some sort, or you've just leveled yourself off at 168 and you you're hoping to break into the 170s you know that's the perfect kind of person to do uh, a tutoring consultation yeah yeah I agree um, well that, those are all the questions so do you have anything else Nathan to add um, I don't have anything else that I need to add I guess we need to uh, give people an update on our logic games book we're getting uh, we're getting close to distributing some free content I believe. Yes, and I should give that update to you because I'm I'm finishing that up. Uh, I think it'll be ready. This I mean it'll definitely be ready this week. It's just a matter of when we can send it out. So cool, yeah. Um, so please go to thinkinglsat.com and subscribe to our newsletter there. If you all you got to do is just get on that newsletter and you're going to get all of the free content. But we're going to start distributing those as soon as it's uh, polished up. We're going to ask you or feedback on that content when we send it out. Um, But we're looking to launch our book sometime 
in 2015, probably middle of the year. And I think it's pretty safe to say that we're going to have some free content coming out in uh, early March. So go to thinkinglsat.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Um, you can always reach Ben, ben at strategyprep.com. And you can always reach me, Nathan, at foxlsat.com. We love hearing from you. We love getting your questions. You can tell we've been building um, the podcast episodes lately. We've been getting enough questions that we've been able to build the episodes pretty much just around your questions. We even would be interested in having uh, listeners come on the show and talk about their LSAT prep experiences or ask us LSAT questions live. So if you're interested in that, please uh, send us an email, reach out to us. What else? Go to iTunes, subscribe on iTunes. Get on your mom's computer and go to iTunes and subscribe to the Thinking LSAT podcast when she's not looking <laughs> and give us yes. a five-star review so that uh, other people can find out about us. Great, yeah. Cool, I think that's it. Um, yeah. We will be back soon. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Right. See ya. Bye. Bye.